0: Oh yes, we're back again. Can you believe it? I still can't quite believe it, but it's another episode of Making Games is Fun, this time with Alex and Tom from Polygon Treehouse. Uh, Polygon Treehouse are a UK indie game studio, creators of Rurki, which is uh, a Scandinavian folklore-inspired sort of dark fairy tale adventure game type of thing. Uh, it looks amazing. Um The two boys themselves, boys, (laughs) men, we're all men now, we're all in our late 30s. It's uh, quite an old man chat, but hey, listen, I'm going for a certain demographic here, all right? Uh, um, They're both ex-PlayStation and Guerrilla art directors, Guerrilla Cambridge. They were there for 10 years, over 10 years. They worked on things like Killzone 2, and more recently, the VR game Rigs. So they've had quite the departure, really, from going from... That kind of super high tech, you know, cutting edge technology, competitive FPS in VR set in a sci-fi sort of world game to this, which is a beautiful adventure game in the old sort of point and click tradition, but brought to a a modern audience. So with all the quality of life improvements that you might hope to see in a game like that in 2019, uh, we had a fantastic chat. Uh, they live down in rural Cambridge. So, as a result of that, a little bit of admin, you will notice uh, in the first sort of 20 minutes or so, there's the odd bit of noise, which I haven't heard since I lived in the countryside like 10 years ago. So I didn't even know it was still a thing, but you'll hear a tiny, a little bit of... Um, phone noise like mobile phone interference that old classic noise it'll take you right back if you're of a certain age the one that goes Uh, I edited around most of it but there's bits where I didn't want to lose the conversation point we were making it shouldn't interrupt or upset your listening experience too much and that's it really Um, only a month between the recordings this time instead of six months I'm very sorry uh life gets in the way sometimes for me or a lot of the time but i am determined to keep this pace up now and you will see more content more of that delicious content as we go forward right i'll shut up now and please enjoy the next episode of making games is fun
1: To make sure it felt contextual for that area, so there are words. or We make sure that we don't use um, particularly like English phrases or anything that would seem out of kilter with that area. Like bobbins,
2: uh, that was one that got
1: got removed quite early on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bobbins so, on your favourite. Uh... Bobbins. Yeah, I don't know if that came from me or not. I did a script pass when we make the game. We tend to do the dialogue just yeah. to fill it in. You definitely um, dropped
0: a few bobbins in since I got here. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> oh, just notice, speaking, yeah. well, then it was definitely me. Feels uh, quite old school now, bobbins.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it'll come back around. I'm just <laughs> getting my kid to say it at the, at the playground, and that'll bring it. back yeah. so. that's where
0: you start these things, right? Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing, though. Is you don't even realise you say this stuff, right? It's just part of your language. And then someone else from a different country goes, "I don't know what bobbins are. Are they shoes or whatever?" <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. I'd say that all the
0: time. So did you look at any, many other things or, along the way or before or? During development or?
2: Uh, so then there's yeah, there was uh we tend to like hoover up stuff as we're going and uh and a very hungry consumers of adventure games, so I think that be yeah we try and really you know immerse ourselves in it and and gobble up as much as we can at this at the at the very off, I think we knew we went back and played like some of the classics and we knew that yeah it quickly became one of our key things like taking the frustration out. And some of the and the, some of those barriers that people have, or when people get frustrated and, and give up. So, in looking like there's been a few key areas for that, and one of them is the direct control of the player with the the pad. And we we kind of were playing around with both at the start, but then in bringing the player closer to the tuve, having direct control just automatically made the game feel much more intimate and much more alive, and you felt much more like the. Uh, the player, which was great, and also in some of the you know the interactions and just like really her interactions with the world and making the film really clean and accessible and reducing the amount of steps. This is on a quite mechanical level the amount of steps that the player had uh, to interact with the world and making them feel um, quite clean. I think but the I guess like the one that really, the the game that really uh, I wouldn't say like inspired us, but one that I found really interesting was Kentucky Route Zero and just so in the way that it had uh, a quite nice clean art style and it had taken the adventure game in quite an unexpected direction and it it was very atmospheric and so it was quite interesting from going and playing some of the old old classics um to going playing something that felt really bold Uh, and i think that gave a certain amount of confidence that you you can push that in different areas and i think hopefully what we've got Will be something that takes the things that people find really exciting about adventure games but kind of widens out a bit and people find it more accessible really um and so when you know when people uh you know come into looking whether they want to play the game or not so hopefully the game will slightly you know it will be a, an adventure a modern adventure game that feels really satisfying to play uh but maybe might nudge out of the genre space a little bit and or bring other people in
1: Yeah I'd agree with that and I think like Alex said I think those games are are great but they're very much of a time and once you can still play them that's cool and they're still really fun they still are of a time so I think what we wanted to do was take some of our kind of big game experience that we got from working at Playstation and and perhaps some of our kind of artistic sensibilities and apply that to that kind of template and and see what we could create with that so um, like Al says actually being able to control her but being able to have 3D environments where we can change the cameras or where we can have much more dynamism um, where because it's quite an art-led game you can actually enjoy running from A to B as well and that's a moment where we can have you know a really cool uh, soundtrack and music come in with sound effects and actually set a scene without actually introducing a puzzle at all and then once you layer that stuff on top particularly if it's contextual to the things you're doing and make sense. That was another thing I think if you look at a lot of adventure games, they can be quite quirky, and that's great. Um, but because our story is reasonably serious and because the setting is realistic we it didn't feel right to suddenly you know be cellotaping a bunch of false teeth onto a squirrel or something like that (laughs) um first puzzle that didn't work no um (laughs) giving the game away uh you know so actually what we try to do is 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 make puzzles make sense in the scenario um and actually interlink them with some of the characters we were talking about so it might be related to some of those kind of spurious things that those characters request or, or a way of helping that character uh and so i think all of those things kind of nudge it up to to perhaps um make it feel something that is is far more contemporary uh the kind of thing where you you almost don't want people to put labels on something you just want to play it and enjoy it right which is a bit like inside you play it and it's amazing and that's great and that's what what all games should be in some ways
2: so i think one of the uh one of the key considerations we well the key decisions we defined early on was the art style and that links impacts quite heavily on the on the world and, and the exploration of the world so i think we have this clean graphical art style and it allows us to do a number of things. Uh, one is we're able to create quite an epic world with a small team. We're not um, light mapping or UVing a load of, a load of stuff. It allows us to be quite bold with our like shapes and silhouettes and compositions. And we know that when we're, when we're creating something, that's how it will, how it will, will appear. But also from, I'm from an animation background and one of the, the key things for me is getting a lot of motion in the scene. So we're talking about you know going from a, a key location to a key location and going through the forest. Now, if you take a walk out into the forest, uh, it's not a static place. Everything is moving and there's loads of motion. And it's one that's a really interesting thing, that if you have something that looks really photo-real, but everything is static, it will quickly reveal itself to be fake. Whereas on the flip side, we found that if you have something that's quite impressionistic... But there is subtle motion there. Then suddenly, your your brain is convinced that it is alive. Cause I think there there's something very interesting that happens with the human brain and motion, and and tricking it to feel that something something is alive. So when when Tuve is is exploring and, and running around, I think those things combined the the interactive nature of you directly controlling her with the pads, and also the um, Player choice is really important with that stuff. So one of the things we've added in recently is this uh, sprint system. So you can choose to explore the world at your own pace. So actually, for the first time you're exploring somewhere, you could be quite cautious and what, not really sure about what you might find. Uh, but you know, later on, you might be going, okay, right, I need to go back there to take you know take that, that crit or that thing. And so then actually the, you know, the player has... The, they can make the choice of how they want to explore this world. Um, so I think it makes it makes the exploration uh, their exploration of some of those areas between areas really really interesting and it allows us to do some really nice setup with
0: setting the story of the environment like where are you going you know and, and building up the excitement about those things um that's interesting as well making me think about the idea of um <clears throat> using emotions to control uh or you know influence of players Pacing through the world as well. So, like, you know, like a major thing people didn't like about I mean I, re- I really liked it, but um, everybody's gone to the rapture. It's right. That you have to walk very slowly everywhere, and, and, and you know, you think, well, that's the point. You're, you're not, you know, you're supposed to be just soaking this all in, right? But, you know, some people didn't like that. And I think it's interesting if you make a game that has spooky elements or, or you know, areas that are oppressive or, uncertain in a way maybe I guess the player might feel less um bored or whatever to 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 walk through slowly because they're feeling cautious anyway so you can kind of control the pace with like the most basic idea would be to make an area spooky right so you have to sort of take your time through it but then it allows you to sort of make the player slow down to appreciate or or soak, soak in a bit more of of that yeah no definitely and I think you can all
1: everything plays a part in that extent you know it depends on the lighting or palette or you know what the music's doing at that point you can actually influence the power a player feels about an area incredibly quickly on their, their first you know step into it um (laughs) <laughs> it's like an old Izzy, Eddie Izzard sketch where he talks about like going into a forest and like the you know the music changes for each path he takes and then like, so he's just putting a foot put on each path to find the one that goes. I'm like, I don't want to go that way. Um, but yeah, and that's I think that's really interesting. <laughs> Back to my serious point of like how you set a mood, how you create a journey for the player, um, particularly with you know environments and music, you you want them to feel like they. Going on a on a journey and, and they're exploring and finding new places. Um, so I think that's very something we're very conscious of. Um, and actually, like going back to the the sprint system, it was one of those things we we were looking at using it and did some tests. We were like, well, you know, people will probably just use it, right? Because it's there. So why don't we just auto enable it after a few seconds and the character will just run that'll be fine and it'll free up a button press and that's that's cool because that's other stuff you have to think about um it just wasn't as good because like you didn't have the agency of doing it yourself even though you'd run when you probably wanted to run someone I haven't told her to do that and it's a really subtle thing um but it makes a massive difference and so like you say actually perhaps you don't want to run perhaps you want to take your time or you just don't even think about running because you're like oh, this is creepy.
2: From software does all that stuff amazingly well. All the Dark Souls, Bloodborne, and now uh, Sekiro stuff. Are like the first time you going somewhere, really edging your way around, and 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 then once you're a bit familiar with it, yeah, then you can you can explore stuff more uh, more at speed. And I think that peeling back the layers of the environment and the and the world and how they're connected is um, is really is really important. Is really is really powerful. One the kind of our other as well as making a, you know, a contemporary adventure game that people found accessible and, uh, and enjoyed playing. Um, one of the other
1: really key things for us was putting the adventure in adventure games. I mean, the, the gameplay itself, there are areas that are more linear than others. So those bits you can go, like, right, this is probably going to be played once. We can kind of really ramp it up. Um, and have like one-off things Um, or there'll be other areas like the middle act it's more of a a hub and, and you go back and forth a lot more but I think that's then quite interesting in terms of gameplay again like we were saying about Tuve commenting on stuff so she can say man I've run through here a lot or you know or we can count the number of times she's run through there and like on the third one do something a bit different or change it up so I think if you're where in the game design, where your kind of hotspots are for, for players actually going back and forth, I think it's important then to, you know, actually reflect on that and go, let's just not have it the same every single time. Um, or maybe something's happened in the game that will then change the music for that section. And, like, you could, if you just by changing the music, you can suddenly go from it being a happy place to quite a scary place. Or um, So that's stuff I find really interesting. I think well, one thing I was
2: going to say, um, like, following on from Tom's point is when yeah you know, with Tuve comment the, the multiple times you're entering and you've seen her her commenting on things and I think those one of the things we've tried to push is the illusion of of life because of the art style we've been able to really push a lot of personality into her and in the emote system that we have so when you're when you're saying stuff we are basically allowed to we can tag her with one of 40 emotions and and it's one of the things that really helps rather than you know you're, you're reading the dialogue uh, it's incredible how powerful that is. We did loads of tests. Well, some of them were really interesting. One, we were thinking about assigning a musical instrument to a character. Um, so, like when Tuve spoke, it might be just some kind of flute. Uh, and so when the uh, when and actually it felt felt like lovely, yeah. but was actually and so when another character would speak, it might be like a, a kind of cranky old guitar sound. Right. Yeah. And there was something where you did get uh, there was something nice there, but you, and you could it was a good signifier of who was speaking but you didn't really get a great deal of of emotion uh, from it and it was when we started dropping in the emote stuff like suddenly it was like wow like the mm. the audio emotes cuz uh that sometimes the characters uh they hold up well close up on screen but sometimes framing shots that can be quite small so we tried to be expressive with the animation but again it's that layering up of of stuff of the of the audio emotes and the animation that makes her her feel alive
1: yeah completely i mean it was interesting actually like one of the after we kind of did our first pass on game design and story and and showed it to some of our friends one of the things we then decided to to change and evolve a bit was um like her own personal story and character art in dealing with kind of a slightly traumatic past with her family we decided a good way to explore that and and to show that to the player was to actually have Tuve essentially play in her own flashbacks so that that would be gameplay itself it wouldn't just be you know like cutscene exposition or, or just kind of referenced yeah. uh would actually allow the player to go there and have some puzzles design around that just to give it much more weight um and so i think all those things actually give a lot more a lot more depth and and yeah just make everything feel a bit more kind of cohesive and interesting <laughs>
0: When Gorilla Cambridge yep. um, shut, shut down, was it quite sudden? Was it? Yeah, it was
1: quite sudden. Yeah. Actually, we were in a we were about to pitch some new ideas. Actually, we yeah. were in a meeting room preparing, yeah. practicing that, and then saw yeah one of the bosses come in who was supposed to be at the meeting, and then another one who wasn't, and was like, "That's yeah. weird." <laughs> and right?
0: Then, yeah. Basically, they told the studio late that day. Um, yeah, I mean, and how did that feel for you guys? Because you were there for what well, over a decade, right? The both of you.
1: Yeah, I think it was. It was tough, you know. I mean, like mm. we've been there a long time, but equally, you've got to be philosophical about these things. Um, fortunately, we, you know, finished the project and got that out of the door, um, and actually, it's an. Op- we kind of saw it as an opportunity to do something else that otherwise perhaps we might not have made that leap to do. Um, Something like Sony broke up with us first, in a way, so we were afforded the opportunity to then, you know, go and I'm not going to continue with that, you know, analogy, but um, go and do something new. And I think we both had opportunities to perhaps go and work in studios again, uh, but felt like actually doing something in the indie scene, doing something where we could be essentially a bit more selfish, maybe about what we were making, because the you know requirements of, of sales figures and everything weren't weren't the same. Um, you know you touched on working for, for Sony and, and and everything that means and gives you access to big teams and, and big visions and, and money and, and really great stuff and it also means you you have to support new hardware which is incredibly exciting because you see it really early but also brings a lot of challenges in terms of you can be quite constrained by game design because of that or have to do a particular type of game because of that to fit into a kind of global catalogue and all that big company stuff. Suddenly, when you're two guys <laughs> working from home making a game that you've come up with, it's, it's incredibly different. And that's, you know, that's very liberating uh, as well as obviously
0: being quite challenging. I've seen quite a pattern um, in my time interviewing people in, in, of this, of people from... You come from, like, a lot of experience in... Sort of very large scale places, and then people break off and they make these these sort of these indie experiences that are like uh, like the absolute flip side of what you've been doing. Um, for example, with Monument Valley, someone who was on that came from um, doing the clothing physics on FIFA. Wow! <laughs> and then he came from that, and then and then started there. So it's just a total flip side thing. Do you, so do you think it's a conscious decision? almost to make something that is kind of the polar opposite of VR FPS, right? It's set in it. Not only that, it's also set in a futuristic world, and this is adventure, uh, folklore, set in a fantasy world. Like, it seems like a complete
2: mirror. I think there probably was an element of that. I don't think it was actually a conscious choice. Be more what just picked an area of something that we were passionate about, about making. Um, and I think we did want to make something that was non-violent, yeah. and uh, and something that maybe was more more personal and uh, and and had more emotion in it. I think and told a, a little bit more of a more of a story. Um, but on saying that, I think there's a lot of like a lot of the even though you go okay, there's you know, for Killzone and, and Rigs and then Rookie, there's you know, clearly a chasm of of difference there. But actually, in, in terms of like design principles and like visual design even though the visual designs are really differently like a lot of the same principles still apply right so you have silhouette and readability of characters you have frequency of detail you have composition like these things um even though the visual styles can be very different like they're, they're actually there is the the kind of building blocks and the considerations are the, are the same so a lot of those the skills that we'd honed and been taught over the time there because actually yeah, we both met at university and then started at sony um pretty yeah pretty much the same time uh straight after university um so we yeah we'd had a a long period of time learning from various different people at the various stages of of the studio's evolution and yeah probably for both of us one of the big uh formative experiences there was actually going out to amsterdam and working with the uh, with Jan Barton and the, the guerrilla guys, uh, they had obviously got a very strong um, artistic vision, and uh, and the bar was really high, right? So it's almost like trial by fire, uh, going out there and and uh, everything's very considered, and especially when I was doing characters there, the attention to detail and getting reference photographs. And just looking at the characters from you know different, different uh, camera angles, so you get always getting a good read. So a lot of those foundation principles are the, are the, are the same. And so we, even though the visual styles aren't related, a lot of that grounding and a lot of that craft has has gone in. And I think I think well, I haven't really given it that much thought, but I think that um, it's those principles that have made the art style of rookie so appealing. And in terms of the characters, even though they're not you know, gritty and real, um, there's there's definitely there's there's something there that people find uh, magical.
1: Well, I guess to build on that, I mean, I think talking about like whether it's a conscious or, or subconscious decision to do something that is on the surface very different. I think certainly something that influenced it was you know traditionally or at Sony we made you know big blockbuster games with big teams require a lot of effort particularly in the art assets you know things take a long time to make um, and it's not to say we left and were like we don't want to do that because we hated it No, like, we enjoyed working on those projects and we were proud of them and obviously art directed them to, to be at a certain quality but that experience you go away you go well we don't have a team of you know 20 artists and an and outsourced department and stuff so we can't make a game like that um, so we you know, we were afforded, I guess, the the knowledge to know day one, like, well, we can't make a game that's a, a story with characters and and big environments and adventure because we wanted some, as Alex has said previously, we wanted to make something that felt epic. We can't make that in that art style. It's just physically impossible, um, either for us to do it or you know financially impossible unless we find some big sugar daddy from somewhere. To do that, and then we were like, and then we're just going to be, you know, managing a big team of outsourcers, and suddenly it was like, that's not what we want to do. We want to make something ourselves. So having that kind of constraint at the start, we're like, okay, well, let's find uh, an art style that is something we can do. So my dog is very interested in me talking. (laughs) Apologies for those sound uh, distractions. Uh, So actually, yeah, it allowed us to then have those restraints to kind of work within that that. Area and, and find some creative solutions to that. Hence, why we went for something that's very clean and graphical and colourful. Um, doesn't have normal mapping or really sophisticated lighting. It's actually just very focused, um, and is something that we can turn around really quickly and use our kind of own skills and experiences to create that uh, and create something that's very consistent
0: throughout as well. That was something brings me on to something I was going to ask as well about how. Um, with the setup that you've got now that kind of iteration loop and 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 feedback whether it's to each other or you know testing it or what have you um how does that feel compared to you know doing it in such a, a, a massive studio
2: i think the the one thing that is uh, exceptionally quick is the decision making process so obviously at a large studio there's you know lots of people have different stakes in things and uh, and you know if you make a wrong call it has big ramifications so you have to make sure that there's everything's properly ratified I think one things we actually had to check early on when we were making decisions about you know what the game was going to be and what the story was going to be it felt like everything was exceptionally quick because we'd go this is it this is the one we want to do this it felt like it was a naturally quick and I think that took us a while to get used to the fact that we we could make those those calls and they could be the right ones and they could happen quite quickly and and we're, we're able to move exceptionally quickly uh, in terms of like you know creating characters, getting stuff up and up and running. Um, and that's one of the nice things about being more hands on uh, with with the work. So yeah, the being able to make the calls and push things forward at a, a rate um, and it's good. I think when well, forcing forcing when you're when you have to make those calls, it gives you a lot of lot of momentum uh, to to spring forward. So
1: I think the other thing actually when you're a smaller team, like just intrinsically you have a much better awareness of everything and like you're more on, hands-on with everything. So um, whilst you can you can make decisions quickly, you can also implement them very quickly because you know the kind of cause and effect of all that stuff. Instead of being in a room making that decision and have to explain it to your design team and your art team and coordinate that change, you can just go, hey, I might do this. Can yeah. we do it? Yeah, okay, great, I'm going to do it. Um, so I think that, that's been really... Um, that's been really enjoyable having that kind of freedom to do that and I think the other thing actually is one of the things we started to try and do at, at Sony but it's it's hard with larger teams um, and it would dependent on your tool set as well to some degree is the kind of idea of failing fast that it's like it's okay to fail um, I mean even calling it failing fast is probably the wrong description but like iteration I guess is, is a better way of looking at it to go you don't have to get to the perfect thing straight away but what you do need to do is be responsive and you need to be realistic about whether it's good or not and do it in a way that if you change it that's not the end of the world it's not it's not going right here's my game idea i'm going to make it fully from start to finish and then i'm going to get some feedback and when someone says it's awful i go oh that's like six years work I can't do that again you actually go like we'll do it in passes and you do it in a way that you can change it quite quickly um and i think so combined with it being a small team but also because of the art style and, and we're using Unity and, and all those things combined actually mean we can, we can pivot quite quickly if something's not working. Um, you know, like that sprint system we talked about, that was something that, you know, we could change really quickly. It didn't have to go as like a code request or something like that. Um, so, yeah, all that stuff I think helps, makes us far more agile and, and reactive, uh, which I like. So you, it's constantly being refined,
0: which I think is a real strength. Do you think it helps you be more creative because it's kind of because of that speed and 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 you've got a apart from the you know the all the red tape involved does it feel sort of less frightening to make bolder decisions because you know you can sort of we know to an extent um back up on them if if they don't work um i think
2: the way that we tend to work is like mining down into things. So, like I think you, at any one point, any decision, you uh, there's nothing ever hugely on at stake because it's always like okay, from the you know we're, we're tunneling tunneling down. Um, uh, but yeah, I think we 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 still. So some of the principles that we take from being at Sony, so we'll still previs a lot of stuff. So we'll still we'll still make sure that we have all the evidence available for us to make a right choice in terms of like character design and like staging and that stuff. So we'll still go and and not spend ages building something, even though the time taken to create a character or an environment is much smaller. Um, it's still like valuable time to us. So we'll, we will still prove things out, and so we can be confident that when we're making a creative choice, is the right one. Um, And that does give you a real, yeah, a real momentum. But I think one of the other things that allows us, which probably haven't really been explicit about so far, is that obviously when we are at Sony, we are both art directors, but we did start off like PS2 era, like hands, so I was a character artist and animator and Tom was an environment artist. And actually, so now the, and now we're back hands-on doing those things. So it's not like we're art directing the project, although we are, we're kind of art directing ourselves, Um, to a certain certain extent and actually that being that being being the hands and the brain is the it makes moving exceptionally quick and also because Tom's been unfortunate enough to know me for so long we've built up a slightly unnerving uh uh, you have a creative understanding right and so Tom can say okay this and you and you you will get it we don't have to really explain to each other too much uh, which are, which means that when we do have to resolve things, uh, we can do them quite quickly.
1: <laughs> like One of the other good things about doing it yourself is that when you decide to cut something, which inevitably happens and kind of should happen if you're making a game properly because there'll always be a bit of fat that you should trim off you don't have to go to someone and say, I'm going to get rid of your work, I'm afraid. Like, it's your own work. So you just go, "That's fine, I'm fine with that. It's yeah. gone. Yeah. I don't have to I don't have to heart de- that properly now. Great, I've just saved myself some time, right? So it actually becomes quite a positive thing rather than, oh no, there was that team on that whole section of it. And that happens on big projects all the time. Of course, yeah. Um, because you can't have get everything right in yeah. the start and you have yeah. to play it and see what's fun and not. But it's heartbreaking when like someone's, like that portfolio suddenly... Their work isn't in the game. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I have no problem getting rid of my own stuff. So that's so much better.
0: Especially if someone's got an idea that they're really keen on, and it's you know, and, and it's something they're very sort of emotionally attached to, and, and yeah. it might even be great, but it just doesn't fit the game, and you have to say, "I'm I'm sorry, that has to just go away now." No, totally.
1: You can actually take a step back, be more objective, and look at the game as a whole, and be realistic, and and you know, and that where it also helps, I think looking at things with fresh eyes you know you can stare at stuff for too long and sometimes you need to just go oh, I'm going to take a step back let it
0: sit and then come back and go actually is that any good or not I feel um, I don't think there's something that um, you get as well with, with your work but um, with photography and with editing and things like that it can feel quite um, refreshing and good to go nah I'm going to get rid of that whole bit even it, something quite um, therapeutic Literally, yeah, yeah
2: yeah i think it's i think it's uh especially if you if if there's something there and it's not working out and you've and you've and you've tried to resolve it and ratify it and it's just it's just not there that kind of you have to trust yourself at a certain a certain point and go like okay well it's probably not working for for um for a reason and actually one of the nice things about moving quite quickly with things is that when we will often find that we'll we we'll go okay well here's a Here's a solution. It doesn't just solve one thing; it'll solve a whole plethora of things, and actually, it'll make the game feel tighter, um, and, and, and play better, and be and it's more exciting on, on on a visual level as well. So, I think those are the really nice things where you go. It's like the perfect Venn diagram of making everything awesome. Um, but yeah, Tom's point about yeah, you know, when we're we'll be able to like take a break and look at things with fresh eyes. That's the, probably the one thing that I find exceptionally uh it's a really powerful about being an indie right so if you're working at a studio and you have to work you you have your core hours you're meant to be there so the whole team is there communicating at a certain certain time and for me the you know so if, if, it, if you, know, you were you came up against a problem and you wanted to go and have a bath for two hours uh, to to like to mull things over, or just to get a break, so you're not trying to brute force it. That would be frowned upon, to I imagine. To our baths, <laughs> Two of baths it's a bath <laughs> yeah, of champions, nice. um, some Enya, know, some Canyolds. You right? must be topping up with hot water. Oh yeah, yeah. Got to, got to be, got to have bath tactics. Anyway, right. <laughs> um, but. Uh, or even going for a run, uh, the freedom to be able to not brute force or not try to brute force the creative protest is really powerful because you can't brute force the creative protest. It's one of those things where you will just bang your head against a brick wall. Uh, mm. So it's always, and it will always, uh, if, you're, if you're kind of, well, I won't say always, it's hard to know what, how much is stuff like how... Uh, my own mind works maybe Tom's as well that actually but they just a a solution will always present itself more often than not if you go okay I don't know how we're going to do this and then you just take a break and suddenly it will resolve itself and that's the same for like some technical problems as well because they're still creative they're still creative problems they still need a creative solution Uh, so that's a really powerful thing to be able to go I'm, we're just, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to go for a walk, uh, or I'm going to have a bath, or go for a run, and uh, or I'll just take the rest. You know, take the rest of the day, and then I'll
0: come at it fresh tomorrow. Um, yeah, that's that's um, also an interesting point. Um, the so the sort of the aspects of work life family balance. Um, how do they differ? Do you think in the sense of so. Now, yeah, you do have the freedom to have a two-hour bath if you <laughs> Some people have two-hour <laughs> baths. Um, <laughs> b- Bombshell, I'm not going to recover from that. Yeah, it's, still, it's still reeling. Um, you know, or go for a run or to say, as you say, you know, if, if in, in the big studio you can't go, ah, I think I'm finished now, lads, I can't, can't be, oh, it's just not working, I'm, I'm going to go home, you know, it's just obviously you can't do that. Um, the, the flip side of that is, of course, no one's telling you to go home. No one's telling you to stop working, right? So you could just sit here and just keep going and keep going. You think, oh God, it's four, four AM, you know, because you're just on on a run on something. For example, you know, that's yeah. whether whether you two do that or or not is is a different is another issue. But you know that sometimes you can still overwork yourself even if there's no one there to make you do it, right? So how do you do you find it easy to manage all those things with family and 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 work life or <sighs> I think it's, it's a really good question. I mean,
1: like you say, I, when we embarked on this journey, I think one of the things I was aware of was, you know, people talk about procrastination and not starting work. And you kind of go, well, that's that's the main problem with working from home. And that kind of never was an issue. Like, just used to working and we obviously we're invested in it. So it was like, I'm kind of excited to work and, and crack on. Um, but yeah, like you say, actually kind of living and working in the same place, that does have its its challenges and that you can feel like you don't ever leave work to some degree um so that's I think kind of an ongoing uh thing to just try and get a handle on and often it it helps you know just getting out and having a change of scenery um and certainly not so much now because of the stage of the project we're in we're doing a lot of kind of at our desk artwork uh which is a necessary stage, but certainly when we were designing the game and and any opportunity we could take to actually go out and be somewhere else... uh and do stuff in person together i think we we took so I think that's really important and actually that was something we didn't ever really do at the kind of big studio because i think it could be perceived like oh you're just fucking off the botanical gardens you're not actually doing any work yeah. um which actually it's quite it, it does really help that stuff and just going with like a a notepad instead um and going oh, okay i've got this design problem i don't quite know what the solution is so i'm just going to go and sit in a coffee shop and think about it and be in a different space and allow myself to think about it um I think those things. Like, I I enjoy being able to do that. Um, but yeah, like the family side. I've, I've got a young son; he's six years old. So, like being able to be around to do the school run and you know go and pick him up if he is unwell or um, or thinks he's unwell. It's more more <laughs> accurate, uh, you know, no, has had a extra big bit of spit and told all the teachers he's been sick or something like that. Um, <laughs> There've been some good ones. Uh, good, yeah yeah then you face the battle of like he's i'm not keeping going for 40 hours is definitely not ill just to be clear anyway um to, yeah so that's good being able to do all that stuff it certainly means my days are like slightly more random when the hours when i i, I work or you know perhaps have to catch up work uh and i think you, there's a danger you can Feel a bit overwhelmed by that, but I think that's where it's important to take a step back and go. Well, look, it's allowing me to do all this other stuff as well.
0: So that that's important, you know. Do you find that, that some stress comes from having less of a structure in that sense? Because, as you say, I, I know those those uh, trials and tribulations as well with with my seven year old as well. That, that the fact that you you might have something planned out quite nicely, but things like that get in the way, and 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 you kind of, especially creatively. <laughs> Um, sometimes I find I've got right, child's in school. I've got a three to four hour window here. And and I have to be creative now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an <laughs> implicit pressure for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, it can be hard. And I think particularly as well, if you have to kind of stop suddenly or like you're just into a task and then it's like, oh, I need to go and pick him up from school. You can't, it's harder to be selfish and go, well, I'm just going to work late at my office and get this thing done. Um, that is hard I'd like to be able to tell you a solution to that I don't necessarily have one I think I mean what I try and do is is have kind of lists of things I want to get done and make sure I feel like I've achieved you know I can tick some things off for the day um, just to get a sense of like satisfaction but also one of the things I, you know there's been times where I've tried to kind of work and have him and in that never really work so I'm kind of much better now I think like going like this is work time and this is being a dad time and not to kind of conflate the two or at least go what one might do is like some soft work like it might just be emailing or stuff that can be interrupted that doesn't require me to be like I'm doing puzzle logic I can't get you a glass of milk right now as I'm you know um, and be that guy because no one wants to be that guy um, so yeah I think that, that side of things has been it's, it is challenging, and I'm like if someone said it wasn't, they'd be be lying, right? I don't think you can do either job well without that being a challenge. So um, you just have to be honest with yourself and kind of face up to it, and yeah, try and find ways around it. One of the really interesting things, or yeah, you have to be quite disciplined,
2: like working at the moment. Like as Tom said, like the. Like One of the pe- things that people asked when we were first starting off was, like, well, did you do not find you just like, you know, you're sitting around at home watching morning TV and struggling to start. And that's never that's never been anywhere approaching an, uh, an issue because we were both quite motivated. But I think in some ways the uh, the discipline comes in stopping work. Uh, we both don't want to be doing crazy hours. We're not afraid of, of working hard. Um, and uh, I think there's a few kind of things that, Try and do to um, yeah to make sure that when you stop work you stop work and so for example yeah it's like fortunately I've got like a study that I can close the door on uh, and so after, after when I'm done I'm done I'm not going back in that room and taking my phone and putting it in a bowl in the hallway so I can't get emails or or do social media stuff and yeah having I think having that wind down as well because when you are spinning lots of plates and you're and you're got, you've got creative mind that's kind of conditioned to problem solve and you'll find that things just like will cycle around and around and around um and so having like certain acts that you do whether it's like cooking dinner uh that allows you to just like ease your brain out yep. of creative mode enforce a routine what's into into relax and it allows you cause what you don't want to do is like Check your phone just before bed and you're presented with a huge problem and then you're trying to get some much needed you know valuable sleep because everyone needs a kind of rested mind to be able to create uh then that's so i think you have to be that's where you have to give it like oh i'll just check my emails like that is like the worst thing you could poss- possibly do um because even like it might be a good thing you're not presented with a problem it might be oh there's an interesting opportunity here that's kind of cool um but then it's still something that your mind will go off on a little journey about which might be like I'm trying to sleep and your mind's like but yeah I'm thinking about this cool stuff
1: yeah. yeah it was interesting like one of the things I did that I found had helped a bit was um, well my son broke my iPhone which didn't help um, and like smashed the screen so I couldn't use it um, so I had to go back I just I was being tight and I didn't want to have to pay because I was like I would just get smashed again so I went back to like an older model of my wives, yeah, my wife my wife's not that I have multiple wives. wives one of my wives uh <laughs> I was a man with several wives with several phones um so, so I got that and it's like I just didn't install everything on it I was like I'm just not going to install Twitter and I didn't have Facebook anyway cause I don't like Facebook but um I didn't put the Twitter app on so it's when I was like in theory in downtime time I wasn't reaching my phone and just kind of scrolling through Twitter and one of the things although it isn't work it can kind of be A bit related, or you can see stuff. Yeah, it's 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 not far enough removed from me. Um, so one of the things I found actually was instead of doing that, I then just started picking up my book because I was like, "Well, I still want to do something." And actually, that I find is like proper escapism. Like you're reading a book that you enjoy; you're just in that, and your brain's not thinking about other stuff. And actually, I find that probably like the most therapeutic thing is to read, um, because also it's your imagination as well. It's not necessarily like here's another. Game or a bit of artwork that is amazing, and you go, either man, should we make ours like that, or is ours ever going to be that good, or <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's a different form that I don't feel challenged by, and actually just serves as a source of inspiration.
0: Your relationship with games when you were young, or did you play as kids, or do you remember playing?
1: Uh, <laughs> so I. I probably came to games a bit later than a pro- you know, your traditional game developer answer. Like My first proper console was a Master System um, that I played all the kind of Master System games on and never really completed any of them, like Alex the Kid and stuff like that. Um, but it was like Mega Drive, I think, was my first one where I properly fell in love with stuff um and it kind of coincided with having an older brother who's like nine years older than me so he was earning and occasionally would like come home with you know a game he'd bought on the market that I just knew nothing about And like probably one of my fondest memories of when he he came back with flashback and I was like what's this it's got like five stars on the front of the box it must be the best game ever and it's like it's this cool eye like what is this game um it's like one of the best games ever it is yeah. um and it was and it was amazing and it, like just all that combined um the way i got it and it kind of fell into my lap and then actually the game itself it's like i think one of my favorite kind of gaming memories um and then like on top of that later it was stuff like final fantasy 7 and you know resident evil um i think you know they're all quite different games but i think each one kind of felt like, perhaps it was because it was like the, the first time I'd experienced something like that in each of those different genres. Um, you know, like Resident Evil, I remember playing it with a friend and like, the uh, first one or second, the first one, um, where the dogs jumped through the window and like literally yeah. threw his controller on the floor. <laughs> and it was like, how powerful that is. And you kind of witness that and you're like, wow, this is like a really powerful medium here that yeah. you can kind of really evoke certain responses. So you don't really realise it at the time, but later on you look back and go, it's oh, interesting. I'm um, Kind of making games, all that stuff's in there somewhere yes. in like a little box in my brain that suddenly gets unpacked and, and forms
0: opinions on, on what you do today. So, uh, yeah, I think horror horror games was a, was a, a point where people started realizing that. I think because the agent the agency being so it's so it's so clear in in something like a horror game that versus a horror film that, that you have to go around that corner, you you know previously you'd be saying to people don't split up that's stupid or don't go through there there's obviously something in there but now you you, you know you know that and you're doing it so you have you got yourself to blame basically is 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 the difference i think but um yeah so how, so so what age would you be with flashback then so uh I as a flashback I was, I was probably
1: about 10 maybe something like that yeah. so like old enough that i could could do it but like young enough that it was still like yeah this was, yeah. you know, wasn't cynical or anything. It was yeah. just, I just from a big so cool, and like, yeah. the end where you have to escape. And, like, and I think particularly all the... It was how good it looked compared to everything else I played yes. because of all the, like, rotoscoped animation mm. stuff. Uh, and it's still was, a good game. And it like, still looks good. And it's still... And just the, the, you know, the way everything links together, all his kind of rolling into firing. And I just remember yeah. thinking, man, this is so slick. And yeah. the story was... Cool because it was like a bit yeah, otherworldly, okay. but he was relatable. Like, it was just a dude in like, dude, you know, jacket. His jacket and <laughs> yeah, you know, jeans, whatever they were. Um, so yeah, I think there's like similarities in some way with, with what we're doing. That we've tried to create like a relatable character and but in this kind of fantastical story. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I think I do have really fond memories over, over Flashback. I think one of my
2: uh, I remember feeling incredibly guilty. We'd been on a school trip like a field where it was like we would stay for a week to Whitby because I'm from Sheffield originally so we go to Whitby which is quite an exciting place um when when you're a kid I remember they had like you know they had an arcade and it was at the time when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like a big craze I remember they had the four-player arcade machine yeah and I remember and you had like your money you know to to last you for the week you're spending money you've been given and I remember four was like playing this game and we got through and we and we finished the game but we'd put like so much money into it and I remember feeling such like buyer's remorse <laughs> as like a kid <laughs> afterwards going and I think I think I put like six pounds into it which at the time which sounds piffling in today's terms but by the time for a kid that was like a huge amount of money yeah. so I had that kind of really like sweet and sour like we that was an amazing game and I really enjoyed playing it, it was going like I've done a really bad thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: what did your dad say like, I bet you did you even tell uh, him no, I haven't broken
2: to him yet so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm guessing for for me so adventure games were you know a big part of my gaming diet uh, growing up and part of that was to do with uh, my dad was reasonably strict about allowing us to play games with any kind of violent content okay i remember once trying to persuade him to let let me and my brother get narc uh which was a game about kind of narcotics cops and yeah. he was just yeah. so appalled uh, <laughs> that it was very clear that was never going to happen but so the adventure games uh yeah he was i think he was really happy for us to play games that uh made us think yeah and i think they're kind of like, i think and in, in, and like posed challenges and allow us to think laterally and and I've got really fun memories like really early on of when actually the graphical fidelity of games was pretty basic or just didn't exist, where he'd bring back dot matrix printer paper from the university where he worked and we'd make maps of the adventure games of uh, where and those are the kind of really fond Yeah. Fond memories. And I remember I think you were talking about with like flashback and like, those kind of graphical advances especially as being a kid who likes to draw my brother came back from his friend's house and said i'm playing this game and you start you're like a you're a guy who wants to be a pirate and you kind of walk you're in the caribbean you come out on this hill you talk to an old man and you walk down to the town yeah i just thought he was lying because it sounded like (laughs) the kind of thing you couldn't really do in a game like a game was like a little simple platformer or or like a um, chips challenge kind of puzzle game and so when we actually got our own copy of monkey island it was like wow and it was such a it felt like such a big step forward, um, and also I think there is something really uh, good about the the diversity of stories in those games, and, and how they are so different. It's not like okay, I am a cop and I am just running along shooting stuff because you know, they're quite cookie cutter in some ways. It might be themed or slightly different settings. There was something about you know being told all those different you know, story about a, a biker gang, a story about a kind of dog detective, a story about a wannabe pirate. Uh, like Grim Fandango is a great example of like. Just a really interesting, uh, interesting setting that has yeah. that draws from different different cultures, and I think adventure games have always been really good at taking you to those those um, those different places. And I think even though the kind of that, I guess that incarnation incarnation of the of the genre kind of. Cause it used to be one of the huge, you know, the big genres of games. Like, you'd have racing games, you'd have adventure games, you'd have beat em up games. And I guess with the more uh, action orientated games coming more to the fore with the kind of with PlayStation and uh, I guess even like SNES, SNES stuff where they became maybe slightly fiddly or felt a little bit old fashioned, I think the, the lore of those titles and the diversity of, of settings and things, stories you could tell never really. Uh, left me, and so I think that kind of like, made, and so for now, us, you know, being able to make a modern incarnation of an adventure game that that's maybe solves some of those historic problems uh, and makes it more accessible to people now, but still having the opportunity to go, we can tell what story, whatever story we want. It's a really a really powerful uh, thing about the the genre
0: that interested me. So your dad was um, very keen on. He, he said, "No, you're not going to play this." This this is too violent. We'll play something that you're gonna get something out of and experience an adventure. Seems quite prescient because you know there's I um so I'm I'm on the um, board of governors at my daughter's school, a parent governor, and something I'm doing is I'm making a, a a games guide for parents because to to show them like don't let your seven year old play Grand Theft Auto or, or don't let them play Call of Duty and, and saying. I'm doing this kind of film equivalent thing saying well this is like Saving Private Ryan so would you would you be cool with them watching that and mm. um, so it's interesting to me that your dad had a handle on that and well I think I think it's um, and at the time you were like oh come on Jesus
2: just let me let me play the the game but actually now it's something that I really appreciate and it was something um, that didn't wasn't just like games it was also for like films it was like very keen on us not watching like 15 18 rated films before we were that old and uh and i actually did speak to him about it recently and said like you know that was actually really good and he's got no memory of that that at all um but he was like okay so that's cool but no it was really nice and it meant that um yeah and it also meant that actually there were then there was games that we would play together because there might be some things that kind of interested interested him i remember uh heimdall on the amiga which is like um yeah, and actually so that had like some out of, of violence in it. Like there was people like uh slashing at people with swords, but it was that thing of like taking you somewhere else and like enriching your outlook and awareness of like of of different things that was um that was really nice. But yeah, I think that's something that is Well now I think the the visual fidelity now in which you can depict something in games has quite a lot of responsibility that comes with it, right? So I remember seeing the The trailer, I think it's the Last of Us Two trailer, um, and it was a gameplay trailer where you were battling some guy in a—I don't know—it was like a a, a shop or something. But I remember it felt like that had gone so far from being like a faceless baddie, and the fact that what you were doing to them was so graphic, and the fact that the they've the characters the visual fidelity and the character not just in terms of like how well they're modeled and textured but also how well they're animated felt really alive mm. and so then when someone like plunges a machete in someone's neck that kind of felt like "Oof!" i'm not sure and i'm not like particularly squeamish but i'm just not sure i want to i want to play that like personally it felt like that was that that was it felt kind of wrong um yeah. And, and I'll play like Dark Souls and stuff, but there's that kind of thing of like, that felt like an alive person and it felt yes. a bit far.
0: It's very, yeah, that some of the trailers for that one is are very, um, I think it's going to be an interesting game because it's going to, it's going to push things in a certain way. I think it, I, I feel like it could end up being quite an important one mm-hmm. to start making real distinctions, whether, they, whether that's on purpose or not or how they've got there. Um, because I think what they try, they were trying to do with the first one was just, just to, I don't think they quite achieved it, um, was do that kind of make the violence unpleasant, right? Yeah. And just almost a morality like a, it too, almost. but I feel like maybe there's a bit of cake and eat it there where they wanted to go, isn't violence horrible, but also yeah, it's hard to escape from the satisfaction of completing an area well, right? So you, you go in and you do it well and you go, oh, I, I did that well, I, I I, you know, I achieved, you know because you still got your game head on to a point, right so I wonder if they can do it this time, because, because I think what they want to do is is repulse you
1: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it I think mean, you have to offer the player enough other ways of doing it, right, so it doesn't become like, so hard to complete the game without killing something, but it's interesting, you know, in Naughty Dog you wonder if some of that's the reaction to like uncharted and like you know all american hero is uh, nathan drake who also happens to be slightly genocidal in the number of people he kills throughout the whole series yeah. with his quips afterwards but like, and it's weird like, as a player when you notice that you're like, like it's weird I've just killed a load of people and <laughs> i've kind of enjoyed it but uh so yeah you know i think Having a game that comes out and perhaps is a kind of landmark game to create that conversation, like you know, you talking about you doing stuff with the school, I think that's really important. There needs to be more of a conversation about games. It's, it baffles me how we still well, we haven't really had that as a as a society. That there's still a perception of like, well, they're just games. How bad can it be? And like, yeah, you hear of you know, like eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds playing, like, 18 certificate games. And I'm just, like, worked in the industry and being exposed to it. And you're like, that's just crazy. Um, And now having a kid as well. So I'm, like, yeah, almost (laughs) hyper-aware as a parent. So I'm, like, quite vigilant of what he plays because I want to make sure that age, not just pissing away time, I mean, that sounds like a really overbearing parent, but you like. I I think there are games you can get a lot from, and I think there are games where you can get into like endless loops of (laughs) just doing the same thing over and over again to get that, you know, extra reward or trophy. And you look back and go, that was not time well spent, right? (laughs) You could have had, you could have played another game and still be playing with technology and all that stuff, but just had a new adventure, a new story. (laughs) <laughs> so, kind of being aware of it from that level, I think, and trying to, you know, coerce them onto something new, think like really interesting. Um, and actually, I think it's quite nice where you can have game experience. Alex was just saying with his dad, like have game experience that you can play socially. Yeah. To like, when my wife was playing, I basically pimp her games so I can watch from afar and not get addicted to them and just <laughs> let her do it instead. Um, it's like my life hack. Um, so she was playing Stardew Valley, as we were talking about earlier, yeah. and then has kind of got nothing left to do, uh, which says a lot about how much she's played it, if you know the game. Uh, and so I kind of point to her in the direction of Hollow Knight instead, because it's like a game quite accessible and easy to play. Um, but her and my son are kind of playing it together. He doesn't actually play it hands-on. He kind of like remember stuff that she forgets and like helps direct her around the world and like is there to kind of encourage her with the fights and then it's really nice watching the two of them like chat about it and play it together yeah it's like you go that's a really rewarding thing and hopefully like a memory he'll have it's time well spent together as opposed to like him you know just being by himself and and you know away from us Mm. and and you know potentially playing it for for too long every day because uh, we can monitor it as well you know
0: yeah so yeah, i get that but i i just get criticism i get backseat gaming now from my seven year old <laughs> Dad, you don't do that that's you obviously that's that's yeah. pointless because you can you're wasting <coughs> that they just yeah i just get efficiency tips and everything it's, nice. it's great
2: <laughs> i think we um like me and my wife because she like uh, played adventure games uh growing up which didn't actually realize until like uh, we'd started trying to uh, play stuff together but we'll um i think adventure games are actually it's something that people think of often as a single player thing but actually with thimbleweed park uh, like we will tag team it we'll both be sat there playing it together and actually having two minds someone will come up with a solution to something and someone else will will think of the solution to something else so actually playing adventure games in that way is something that um you know, maybe not that's not what how they're intended to be played, but actually is really, really nice and uh, qu- and quite a social thing really. And so with Thimbleweed Park and Dark Side Detective, some of the mo- the modern, you know, incarnations of adventure games, that's been something that we've both really enjoyed uh, playing together. And she's like got really into to the point where she'll like wake up in the morning and I've worked out, how we're gonna do it. When I get back from work we're gonna do that again. It's like, yeah, it's um, and it's nice. And I think there's that that social aspect of something uh, is nice there can be social aspects of playing games it doesn't have to be like um an isolated thing and actually just to go back to the the last of us two stuff and about the you know depictions of of uh of violence and i i think it's it would be really interesting to see that you know the, the if the goal is to kind of make something that repulses people um I and mean, that's I and mean, that's really good and potentially really powerful my cynical head would go actually i think a lot of the people who are kind of uh, who are who are like quite not say so thoughtful, but actually introspective, I guess. Who are like who wanting to be challenged will look at this thing, and go, "Wow, this is a, this game is really challenging me." My cynical uh, hat would say, "I wonder what before, even though that's the intention, what pe what amount of people will enjoy it for the ultra violence."
0: I think I think the real question um, a designer have to ask themselves is, what, "How do we divorce?" The killing from achievement and from progress. Yeah, what? What if it was? Okay, I love being a backseat designer. Doesn't that <laughs> design enthusiast? But but what if you? What if uh, killing an enemy, or killing a character, actually hindered your progress and made it harder to proceed through an area? Like,
2: well, exactly. I think that when I was playing, I was playing Fallout Four, and it was the first Fallout game I played, and I was really enjoying like going through all the different strands of the story and. And I was really disappointed. I'd put like quite a lot of hours into the game, and I'd, I'd like yeah gone down quite a few different paths with all the different various factions and stuff. And at the end, I was just kind of a bit disappointed because I just had to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, And I'd got down all so far down all these different paths in order to like get some kind of ending. I just go on a mass killing spree. It left quite a like a. The sour taste in my mouth really and i think i've seen since there are ways you can play that game and possibly complete it in like non-violent ways but that's like a real mission um yeah so it's kind of interesting but yeah so i think I, i will play uh the last of it it'll be really interesting to see whether they can they can achieve that goal
1: i think that's what's nice about the the kind of indie scene is it's an opportunity for fresher experiences for experience that aren't Governed by like the same expectations of like big triple A open world game where you can spend like hundred hours doing stuff. It's like well, it can be a two hour game or a six hour game, or it you know it can just be side scrolling or whatever. Um, and that's fun and like liberating, and and I think there's a real freshness to that scene because it allows incredibly creative people to go in and do something that means a lot to them in a way that and get it out there and, and it's accessible uh, and like I think for, for us one of the really interesting things is like just coming off the back of Sony and think about well let's start doing it ourselves how achievable is that and you go well like Unity's free for a certain team size Photoshop costs like I don't know 10 or a month or whatever Maya you can get a light version for like 30 quid a month so it's not that much money at all compared to like when we were at uni and you had to buy licenses and like the computer and you'd be like thousands of pounds in yeah and that's even without all like the web resources and community to help you with stuff absolutely um so you go like it's crazy that you can just you can just start making stuff and yeah. put it out there like even yeah. just like if you're at school or a kid, you can make stuff put it out there get feedback you know and like that's, that's amazing to me um and i think on, on a slight tangent I know the Dreams beta is coming out soon on PlayStation um, and like, I'm really excited to see how that goes like, yeah. I, I mean I think it's a very hard concept to get across mm. um, I know they've spent a lot of time like trying to work out how to do that yeah. with marketing and, and how to get people interested in it but that for me that's like a fascinating shift is like you know you talk about the last of us 2 and perhaps what that might do but i also think there's something like dreams what that could do to gaming and and how that might change the landscape a bit in in terms of like interaction and creating content and then it not just being like a one-way thing i think is um really fascinating so i'm I'm really hope that that does well but yeah people certainly watching
0: that with interest i think even even if people bounce off it um I think what's what's nice about it is the scale on which that will be released from a, a company like Media Molecule, and even just putting the idea in people's heads that you can have a go, like even if say someone say some people get in, get into the idea, of it but for whatever reason it doesn't work for them if it's something that if they sparked that creative interest in those people they might then go on to go well how else can i do this and, and find all the things you just said about where you can you can get unity and you can get the feedback from in the internet and 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 how open it is now even but, if it just sets them on that path that's like, worthwhile right exactly and like
1: what i think as well what a much kind of more powerful way to use all that kind of hardware and sophistication and like knowledge and and um skill set of a team to, to kind of give that yeah tool set to people i think as well the
2: um yeah you're right encouraging people to have a go and create their own games and just like reducing those barriers to entry i think yeah like hopefully you'd think that you know you won't have to go to university get a, like a, a degree and then go and work at a big studio for ages actually the you know the with with unity and obviously with things like dreams uh to be able for people To have a go and to try and see whether it's something they find interesting or not—that's really powerful. Especially when it's, you know, uh, you know, there's a real drive an important drive to increase, you know, diversity in who is making games. Uh, And so, actually, allowing people who don't have loads of money um, to have a go at making game and see whether it's for them, see whether there's uh, whether there's spark there for them—that's a really that's a really awesome. That can only be a good thing, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just remind reminder, and I know actually, like. Mini Molecule actually hired someone who made levels on like community person who made something for Little Big Planet. So they were like, "Oh, that's really good. Then let's get him in." And I'm like, how fucking cool is that? That yeah. you can play a game and make something, and then yeah. the people who made the game like your yeah. stuff so much that you get a job there. Like, that's yeah. amazing, right?
0: Willy Wonka. Yeah, <laughs> ex- ex- exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly, like, exactly Willy like Willy Wonka. Let's <laughs> just end and that'd be an end, end, end <laughs> for all podcasts. That's good. That's good <laughs> for the, uh... You've got to try and get that in now for everything you do. In future. <laughs>
0: What are the most important or significant lessons you've learned from making Rookie so far? Do you think what sticks in your head compared to um, working at Gorilla, for example?
1: Uh Alex is eager for the mic, he's got some some gold, some bath gold. or hand over
0: that you can take two hour baths whenever you want. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm trying not to have a Willy Wonka in this one, but the uh,
2: I think one of the one of the important things is to uh, is to back yourself. I think that's that's one of the things, and, and actually taking that leap. Um, so that's obviously that was something that was uh, quite early on. But I think there comes at a certain point where you can look at all the, you know, whether you should go into, you can look at all the, the facts, you can read articles and there can be like different bits of varying advice from very, you know, people in the industry. Um, and at a certain point you've, you know, you've got to uh, back yourself and, and jump and see if you can fly, you know, and it's, um, I think that's been a, uh, was actually quite a liberating one. I think when we were starting the, the studio, the, um, yeah, it's like, it obviously is always a risk and there's, there's still risk and, uh but the the prospect of not knowing of not knowing whether we could do this was uh I think that's something we uh either of us could have really lived with the kind of idea of like you know we're both of a, a certain age we're not whipping snaps anymore like late thirties so actually if we'd gone in for another long stint at a big studio you know that at the end it would be much more difficult to do it after that um and so I think that's been yeah it's felt really validating to go like okay, we think we can do this. Why don't we try and do it? And we're doing it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, like, giving backing yourself um, and giving yourself the, the chance has been been really good.
1: For me, actually, like, coming from... I weirdly feel less pressure now than I did at Sony in some ways. Like, I think there was... Maybe it's because of, like, the, the figures and the scale of it. Like, being in a big studio, there's, you're aware of budgets, like, and they're multi-million pound budgets. Yeah dollar, euro, whatever. Um, (laughs) To get that back, you go, suddenly we need X number of sales, right? You go, particularly if you're on new hardware, you get to the point where you go, okay, we need, hang on a minute, do we need like two people to buy like or, or like one person to buy two bits of hardware for us to sell enough copies or something like that you know you can get into crazy mathematics um and that's not a good thing to start attaching to a game to start thinking of it in, in purely financial terms and i think for us because the barriers to entry is quite low like the overheads are quite low it means that you know what we need to sell through to you know get our, our money back and stuff it's quite quite low hopefully um and also but it's it, it's it's we've changed the narrative i guess because it's not someone above us necessarily going like we need to kind of hit these targets it's more about what oh, we're just making the game we want to make and, and make it to the standard we want to make for me it's not i'm not going like i'm making this to make like fuck me we were making a game to make money right we wouldn't have chosen the game we're making it's a cool game but yeah. you can make a lot of money out of doing like a little appy game or something like that for sure. not to demean that, that stuff right but you, you get where i'm coming from yeah, yeah. um so, we're making something we're interested in, and, and like part of that, then I think is it's a, it becomes about that project and doing that and doing that justice. And then for me, like whatever comes after that is kind of a bonus you know like and if it does really well that's amazing and if it if it doesn't do as well as we thought then that's you know that's okay as well because we've still done it and we've still achieved what we set out to achieve and and I hopefully enjoyed that journey and got some um, experience from that journey and and can kind of take that forward so for me and I think particularly when it's you've got a lot of work to do and, and pressure's on like it's important to remind yourself to try and like enjoy it and recognize why you're doing it and, and to take pride in what you're doing at the moment as well not necessarily wait for someone to review it and validate that like if you're proud of it and that's enough right like
2: yeah and it, sometimes it can be tough like sometimes making games can be tough and actually one of the things to try and do that's whenever we're at, you know a challenging time just go look at all the stuff we've done that's gone well and actually like looking back and because sometimes you can go oh actually yeah we're actually we're doing pretty well we've got we've done a lot of things right and things and and and, you know we haven't uh fallen by the wayside um and so i think it's always good to remind yeah you, you know, remind yourself of the good things and uh, and to yeah you know, to always have a look back at, at what you've achieved so you're not just constantly faced with you know the the
1: the problems that you will face or the things that need need tackling as you're going it's interesting it would be like my one bit of advice for anyone making games is like capture as much stuff as you can throughout the process because it feels amazing to look back at how shit your game was and compare it to what it is when you finish. And, like, cause you, because it's, it's like watching a kid grow. It, like, happens incrementally, so you don't you don't actually notice. But when you are then confronted with, like, well, this is the finishing, this is what it used to look like, you go, man, I thought that, there was a time I thought that was good. And now, comparatively, it's, like, just... um, And it's amazing. We did it at Sony as well. Like, we used to for like end of year wrap ups or projects we'd be like, here's footage from the start of the game um, and it was insane, like particularly on new tech, we'd be like, geez, remember when we got excited that the frame rate was like 4 frames a second or something, or like we could have characters that were 50 poly, like just crazy stuff um, and you forget that because making games at such a pace and you're like creating these worlds and characters and there's so much stuff there you just lose track of how far you've come, so I think certainly having that in visual form to look back on it can be really rewarding. And like Alex says, a good reminder for like actually you are making progress, and might it feel like you are making progress.